Well, good morning and welcome once again. Uh, whether you're here in person, in lo- online, or in the fellowship hall, I want to just welcome you and thank you for being here this morning. I want to say a special hello to anybody who might be new or visiting with us for the very first time. We understand it's so easy to slip in and out undetected, and we understand that some of you might have wanted it that way, um, but we don't want it that way. We want to say hello. We want to take some time to welcome you. So if you are here and this is your first time, can you just give us a, a friendly little wave so we can say hello to you, first-time visitors? Any waivers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here with us. On behalf of leadership, we welcome you. We also have a little gift, just a, a blessing from the Lord to give to you guys. I'd love to meet you guys in the foyer, shake your hand, and say hello. Well, if you guys have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 1 through 8 in uh, a message titled, Let It Go. It has nothing to do with the message. My daughter named it. Um, she wanted to be involved, and it's her favorite song from her favorite movie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it definitely does have something to do with it, but... Man, I want to ask each and every single one of you guys just to be praying over the VBS this week. I just can't help but think that in these last days that God wants to reach young people, that God wants to use this week to take the gospel back home, the things that they're learning, the things that God is showing them and teaching them. And uh, man, kids are going through so much, even at young ages, kindergarten through fifth grade, these kids are exposed to, to so very much. And I want them to be exposed to the gospel, the life-changing gospel message. Amen. I also believe that there's some here today that are on the teetering, like they're going back and forth on serving. If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, there you are. No, I encourage you, whether you can do one hour, two hours, or the whole time, come on out. You will be blessed. You're going to just see what God can do and what God will do just through life. He's looking for our availability. He's just... You know, he doesn't need us, but he allows us to partner and to co-labor. And what a, a neat opportunity we have to do that this week. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in our text today, the Apostle Paul will be dealing with the issue of Christians taking each other to court and suing each other. Now, Paul had received word from Corinth that this was a big, big problem within the church. They were having issues, normal things that happen within the lives of believers and within the church. But instead of handling them in a biblical way, what they were doing is they were rushing out to the secular courts and going before the judges and the secular magistrates to deal with spiritual issues and that things that could be handled biblically. And so we're going to take a look this morning at what the Word of God says on these things. And so the Apostle Paul begins this section by asking a question in verse 1 as we see. Does any of you, when he has a case before his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? And so he asked this question. It's a very pointed question. Almost do you dare do such a thing when you have issues? And let's just pretend that we can relate with some of the things that were going on in Corinth. Let's pretend that within the church, within um, brothers and sisters in Christ, every once in a while we have an issue, okay? Bear with me. I know this is a drama-free church, and uh, we don't have, I don't know why you're laughing. It wasn't a joke. I'm just kidding. Uh, But let's just pretend, bear with me on those types of issues that we might be possibly having. But the Apostle Paul was taken back. He said when these issues arise and when things come up and um, whether how petty or how small they could be or really serious issues, do you dare go before the unrighteous to handle biblical issues? Now, with this question, we not only see his amazement, but also I believe his disappointment with the group of believers in Corinth at this time because of the fact that it says they were going to the unrighteous instead of the saints 
to deal with these specific issues. It says cases amongst their neighbors. That was issues within the brother and issues within the church. With this, the Apostle Paul is very, very clear in the first verse of the, dealing with this issue that he believes that issues, that disputes, that cases that arise amongst the brethren should be brought to the saints and not the unrighteous. And so as we know, the word saints here, it's not only a name of a terrible football team, but it's a reference to um, a group of believers, just Christians in general. They're, they're saints. I know it's something that we may not feel worthy, but we're saints. We're sanctified. We're saints in God's eyes. And so it's just a general term to refer to believers, people who are born again, people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so also we see not only the, the surprise that it doesn't come to the saints, but he refers to why would you go to the unrighteous? Now, the unrighteous, he's not talking about their character or specific issues, things that they were doing. It's just a general term referring to the fact that they weren't born again. And he didn't understand. He was amazed and he was taken back by the fact that spiritual issues, differences that brothers and sisters in Christ were having, that they would go to people who don't know the Lord to deal with spiritual issues that came up from time to time. And as we read this and as we're talking about it, it does seem odd that not only them, but even us from time to time, that they would take cases, issues that arise amongst the neighbors and the brothering, when these things arise, looking for a righteous judgment, that they would take it before a courts and the magistrates that know nothing about righteous judgments of God. It's a simad. But part of the problem and the reason they were doing that in Corinth is because people in Corinth at this time, they loved the courtroom and all the drama that they that it, that it brought with it. But I don't just think that was the case in Corinth. I think we're seeing that same thing in the case and the life that we live today. I remember when I was a very little, little kid, um, there was one judge show, and it was the People's Court, Judge Wapner, right? You guys remember that? Yeah, high schoolers, just bear with me and Google it. It's probably not even on YouTube right now, but it's, there was one. Now, you cannot watch television at any time without seeing any channel, some sort of judge. And the crazier and the more antics, the more theatrics the courtroom brings, the more viewership that it has. People are fascinated with courtrooms. And really the fascination is with the drama. Not only the drama, but also now we live in a day and age where court and suing one another to gain is really just a, a normal thing in our society. And that was exactly what was going on in Corinth. They loved it, the drama that it brought, because really when you would come together in the courtroom, it brought forth the intellectual dialogue, the back and forth banter, which pleased the flesh in Corinth. Remember, they loved debating and talking about non-essential issues and the juicier and the more deeper or whatever it may be, the better. And so they loved going to court. And sadly, the culture in Corinth was infiltrating the church. It wasn't just those in the world. It was now those in the church, not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but actually brothers and sisters by blood. It was popular that fathers and sons and mothers and daughters would go and sue and fight in the court of law. And the apostle Paul was taken back by it. He was taken back by it for a couple of reasons. One, what a terrible witness to the world, a terrible witness to the world. They love when believers have issues and drama and fall. You will not see one news article, one news briefing about revivals that are taking place all around the world, which they are happening, by the way. 
hundreds of thousands of believers in the persecuted church, whether it's China or India, they're getting visions and revelations to the Lord, and God is doing amazing work, but you're not going to see that. Right here in our local community, the last um, Harvest Crusade that Pastor Greg Laurie did, over 10,000 people in one weekend right here in our backyard got saved. You're not going to see that on KCAL 9. But what you will see is when a pastor falls. You will see when there's some sort of drama within the church. They love to make a mockery and to disgrace and bring down the name of Jesus Christ and believers. And so the Apostle Paul was grieved by this. Why would you take these issues and go before the court of law? But the main reason ultimately was their immorality, the immaturity and the carnality of the church in Corinth. And he spoke about that a little in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can look over a little bit. 1 Corinthians 3, we, we talked about this on a Sunday morning. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh and to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're still not able, for you are still, what? Fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? That was the issue. They were flesh, and the flesh desires strife, thrives off of drama and dissension and chaos and these types of things. And so that was the real issue. They were feeding the flesh and fighting and coming against one another in this way. And these little civil, spiritual uh, disputes and issues that they were having. It's also important to understand that the Apostle Paul wasn't talking about criminal cases here, but civil disagreements, spiritual matters, really things that should be handled within the church. He was okay with the court of law. He actually spoke about it in Romans chapter 13, that the courts and the law and the justice system was put in place by God. And so these weren't criminal cases. These were literally uh, little disputes that were arising amongst the church. And he was taken back and absolutely amazed by it. We pick up in verse 2 where he says this, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the matters of this life? And so not only does he condemn it and let us know that it's a problem that believers shouldn't be running to the secular courts, suing one another, battling one another in the court of law. He doesn't just say that, but he gives us two very clear reasons why saints are more than capable of handling cases that arise amongst the brethren. And the first we see in verse 2, he says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? The Apostle Paul asked this question to remind them. He says, do you not know? They had forgotten. This was something that they already had come to understand, to know that he had imparted to them. And so he reminds them, he questions them by the way of reminders. Do you not know that saints, that the believers at the church will judge the world, that we will rule, reign, and judge the world with Christ? This is a teaching and something that we see throughout the scriptures the Bible makes it very, very clear that believers, that followers of the Lord Jesus Christ will rule, reign, and judge with him. This will begin uh, during his return when he sets up his kingdom. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 says that we will be sitting with him on his throne, ruling and reigning and judging. And so when he comes back and establishes his kingdom, we will be there with him. 
Judgment is something that we will do with him. We will be in him and we will be able to do it righteously with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Like we spoke about last week, judgment for the believers, it doesn't happen now. Okay, take note. Say judgment with the believers doesn't happen now. Sadly, too many believers think that we are on the judgment seat now. Um, just a couple quick reminders. Judging each other is not a spiritual gift. All right, I know some of you guys are really gifted and you exercise that gift. You need to stop, okay? When he comes back and sets up that kingdom, then you can do it, all right? I've seen some of your social media. I had our analytics department go through it. A lot of, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so because like, I knew I shouldn't have friended him, you know? But it, it, it's just not the role that we should do, and especially judge the world. This is something that is really important and high upon my heart. Judging the world is not the place of the believer. Sadly, too many believers are placing such high emphasis in judging the world. What do we judge them upon? We need to share the gospel with the world and love the world. We can hold each other accountable according to the word of God. So often we're going and, and condemning these types of things, uh, whatever the sin issues may be, but they don't even know Christ. But as believers, we can go and we can hold each other and judge each other according to the word in love. We need to be more holding our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable and praying for the world, preaching the gospel to the world. So it's not a spiritual gift, not something that we are doing now, but we will rule and reign and judge the world with Christ. And bringing up this truth, he points to how crazy it is that we will be on his throne, judging, ruling, and reigning with him, should we not be able to handle these small disputes that arise within the church? Of course we should. The second reason he says in verse 3, do you not know that we will judge the angels? So not only will we rule and reign and judge the world with Christ, it, he brings up this powerful statement that he just rattles off so casually that we will be judging the angels. Now, there's many different translations and interpretations of this verse right here, this phrase, judging the angels. But first off, I think it's important to understand there's only one true judge appointed by the Father. John chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, it was Jesus who will judge all. The Father's appointed Jesus Christ the judge, but we are with him and in him. And so there will be an aspect of judgment in our role, but it will be Christ. I don't personally believe that we will be the ones uh, judging alone over the angels. I don't think that that's what he is saying here. So judging over the angels, what angels? Angels are ministering spirits for our good, the Bible says. So the the angels that need to be judged, I believe, is a reference here to the fallen angels, those who rebelled, a third of the fallen angels rebelled with Satan from heaven, and their judgment will come. Uh, Jude chapter 6, it'll be on the board, Jude chapter 6, talks about this judgment to come for the following, follow, blah, 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 fallen angels. It says this, and angels who do not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper dwelling place, these he has kept in eternal restraints under darkness for the judgment of the great day. There will come a day where they are cast and they are put into the pit and we will be in, uh, involved in that and a part of that. And so he says, we're gonna be involved in judging the angels and judging the world. Can we not deal with these issues that arise, the strife that occurs within the brethren? And so with these two reasons, the Apostle Paul shows very, very clearly that the saints and the church, not the world, should be handling the disputes that come amongst the brethren. 
Now, Paul was very, very confident that we could and that we can handle this. Why? I believe it's because of two reasons. The first one is we have the word of God. That is the first reason. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2 says, The Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. This is the word of God that he speaks forth and understanding. We have the word of God. This is our guiding compass. We have something that anchors us down and gives us real wisdom to be able to make decisions, to be able to handle things. Everything that we need, every issue that can arise, we can find the answer in the word of God. And so we can be confident as we um, know more of the word of God, how to deal with issues when they arise. So the first one is the word of God. Second, and I believe equally important, is we have the spirit of God that dwells inside of us. Jesus said in John chapter 16 that the Spirit of God will lead us. And I've been a part of some absolute powerful um, meetings, issues that believers were having. And uh, there was this one brother who had a powerful gift of the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. There'd be two issues, two people battling and having strife, and the Spirit would bring things. It's the Spirit of truth. And all of a sudden, this man, he would begin to, to speak and to ask somebody a question. All of a sudden, it their eyes would look. I said, how do you know that? It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the one who reveals. And so when these issues come up, it gives insight. He says he's the light of the world. The Spirit shines light in dark places. The Word of God reveals wisdom and insight to deal with issues that may arise from time to time. And so we have the Word. We have the Spirit of God. And so when these issues, when these disputes arise amongst the brother, not just not going to court, but just drama that comes. We need to come together, pray, seek the Lord, and see what God will do. Verse 4 says this, so if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren, but brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. So after laying out his case, Paul begins by asking another question, just further indicting them and hopefully opening their eyes to see the error of their ways, that these things could be handled with inside the church. And so we ask in verse 4, why give those who have no insight into spiritual things, no insight into the church, why would we give them the authority and the power to judge and to rule over these specific issues? I love the New King James translation of verse 4. It reads this way. It says, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? They don't know. They have no wisdom. They don't have no insight into spiritual matters, into the things of God. Why would we allow them? They have no place to be able to make those sort of judgments. And if we answer that question honestly, and if they were to, they would say, of course not. It makes no sense to do such a thing. And so... The Apostle Paul isn't putting down the justice system. I'm not saying here that the courts and the law are bad. None of those things are true, but they're just not spiritual experts. And so when we are having spiritual issues, when there's strife among us, we need to come together and handle it in a biblical way, not in a legal way. They're not biblical experts. That's not what the court of law is there for. Now, with that saying, you don't have to look too far to see um, decisions that maybe the courts have made laws that they put in place, legislations, judgments, rulings that might be contrary to the word of God that would support that very statement why they shouldn't be making rulings on spiritual things. 
You can just go through. You don't have to look very far. Legalizing um, the murdering of babies. New legislation that is out that is not protecting our children, but basically legalizing uh, pedophilia amongst the children. It's just a very, very thing that you could see the, uh, the contrary uh, rulings and the judgments that the courts and the laws make that are contrary to the word of God. Even to the inconsistencies of the justice system. I was watching a documentary recently on the mafia. Anybody, any, anybody like the mafia out there? I was scared to say this just in case they like, might be listening. But I was flabbergasted. Man, I don't know informants out there, okay? If I'm not here next week, this is a little risky. But I, I was flabbergasted in this documentary that I was watching on Sammy the Bull. You know, he had two cases that he went down that he actually did uh, jail time for. He actually confessed to over 20 murders that he was involved with. And then for that, for that case, confessed over 20 murders. He did five years in jail. But guess what? He gets out of jail after uh, serving not even a full five years, and he's involved in an ecstasy ring, and he gets 20 years in prison. Think about that. The inconsistencies. Now, again, I think we would sit back and say we'd be marveled in the inconsistencies of the jail system. It's, you know, the system is flawed. We understand that. That's why as believers, we have a system that's not flawed. It's the word of God. It's the wisdom that's found in the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's all that the apostle Paul is saying. And so it comes to a head ultimately in verse five, when he lets them know that he was ashamed and shamed and embarrassed by their actions and the way that they were conducting themselves. He loved them so much. He spent 18 months pouring and imparting and sharing truth with them. And to see them acting this way, it grieved his heart. They were acting like mere men. They're not mere men. And that's what he spoke to them about earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, you're going around acting like normal men, like men of the world, like men of the flesh. And it's not who you are. You're believers. You were bought with a price. You're changed, you're transformed, you're born again. You are different, but you're not conducting and acting and carrying yourself in a way that is different and absolutely grieved his heart. And then he kind of goes, not on the attack, but he really begins to call them out in love. And he points out um, their pride by asking them in verse 5, is there not one wise man among you who will be able to decide between his brethren? Now, this question would have stung because as we know, the church in Corinth, they prided themselves upon their wisdom and their great intellect. But here they are, their walk isn't matching their talk. Instead of handling things in a biblical way, coming together using the wisdom of the, the word, they were going out looking for wisdom in the world. So he says, man, you, there's nobody wise? They would say, well, of course we're wise. But their wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's eyes. And so, again, Paul wasn't against courts. He wasn't against the justice system whatsoever. You remember in Acts chapter 25, he actually appealed to Caesar. You remember when Festus was giving him the runaround, he used his rights and he used the law and the courts. He understood that. He appealed to Caesar, let me go and see Caesar. So he wasn't against it. But what he was against his brothers and sisters in the church having spiritual issues and disputes that would arise going to the world. That was the problem, suing one another. He knew and understand that this wasn't pleasing to the Lord. 
Why? Because he knew that there was other ways through the word of God and through the spirit of God that we could come together and handle this in a biblical manner through prayer, through coming together and, um, you know, worst case, Christian mediation. And the Bible talks a little bit about this. He gives some practical steps Jesus himself did in Matthew chapter 18, dealing with conflict, dealing with issues that arise. Matthew 18, 15 says this. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that on the testimony of two or three witness, every matter may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen, then go to the church. And so we see dealing with conflict, we see the wisdom. It's not about division and dividing and going to the courts and winning cases. That stuff divides and splits up. The Spirit of God wants to bring people together. You go to that brother and you talk. If they don't listen, then you bring somebody else and you pray and you seek the Lord. And then ultimately you go to the church. And the church can be able to handle some Christian mediation through the word of God, through prayer, and people can come together. You win a brother. If you go to the court of law, even when you win, you lose, as we'll find out a little bit later. And so that's why he was against it, because there was a better way, a better way than going to court, a better way of dealing with conflict and issue than going to the world and receiving secular wisdom and insight, which is contrary to the word of God. And so in verse 7, it says this, Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. If his exhortation about not suing and not coming against one another wasn't clear enough, he says, yeah, if you do go to the court, if you do go to the secular judges and handle it in a non-biblical way, it says, it is already a defeat for you when you sue one another. Even before a Christian goes to court against another Christian and attempts to win their case, the Apostle Paul says, you've already lost. What do you mean? Well, if you're thinking in the fleshly terms, in a practical sense, yeah, well, I might have won the case, but no, it's possible to win the case practically, but to lose spiritually because it's not pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't glorify God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. It's not worth it. And then Paul anticipates the question, a possible, a possible rebuttal. Well, there's always that one case. There's always that one situation. The Apostle Paul, you don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand what this person did to me. You just don't understand. And so he follows it up in verse 7 by saying, why not be wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? That's powerful. You have your own Bible today. Even if you're using one of ours, circle that. Why not be wrong? Why not be defrauded? There's only one answer, the flesh. Some of us, even as we read that, as we hear that, we think, oh, it gets uncomfortable. Why not be wrong? Because I'm right. Why not be defrauded? Because fraud is wrong. And we want to defend and we want to fight, but that part of us is the flesh. Apostle Paul said, is it really worth it? Is it worth destroying a relationship over issues? Why not? Rather than focusing on the win, the Apostle Paul simply puts says, let's be the bigger person. Let's lay down our rights and let it go, whatever issues that we have. Why not? It will glorify the Lord. It will bring people together. And God, you will see just amazing things if we were able to do this. He's simply put, he's calling us to, to let it go 
and to love. That's what he's saying. Is winning a, a case, is winning in court, is destroying a brother, is it worth it? He says, absolutely not. And this is hard because there's situations, even as we think that we might be having amongst brother and trials, tribulations that we might be going through, and all we can think about is that we're right and they're wrong and they need to know it. But it's not our place at times to show it. It's the Spirit of God. We need to walk away. We need to let it go. We've seen that time and time throughout the Scriptures. In the life of the Apostle Paul, he could literally uh, preach because he lived this. There were several times where he took beatings when he didn't have to, where he could have stood upon his rights, where he could have said, no, this is right, you're wrong. But he didn't do it. He took the beatings. There was times where he had the right to receive compensation. He says, a laborer is worthy of retire. But the Apostle Paul says, no, I don't want that. So he laid aside his rights. That is the life of a Christian, laying down our rights, not standing up and fighting for our rights. So he says, why not? By letting it go and choosing to love, it does a couple of things. One, it shows spiritual maturity. And the second thing is, is it shows faith in Christ. Trust in Christ. You've got to be mature to let something go. I tell you, it's the hardest thing to do. And, and I don't do it perfectly. You know, I think it's easy to see these type of conflicts that arise within marriages. You know, I couldn't let anything go early on in my marriage for 18 years. <laughs> my 18th anniversary is actually next Sunday. I'm still learning this lesson. But it's hard to let things go because I'm right. She just needs to know. I'm glad she's coming next service. It's going to be a different illustration. <laughs> and I'm the leader. God, you've called me to be the leader in the home and in the church. Is, is it worth crushing? It says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Lay down. Die. Okay, I'll die daily. But I still got to teach. No, it's, it's not worth it. So then I would uh, be quiet, but then I would make little comments. All right, I'm going to let it go, because that's what God calls me to do. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, show her there of her ways. <laughs> Here, hold my hands, babe. Spirit, fall upon her, Lord Jesus. You're the one who would leave the good shepherd. Grab that sheep and break its leg and bring it back. And Oh, my gosh, so ridiculous for so long. I'm still ridiculous, but it's hard because it's, it's pride. Now, the closer you get to the Lord, you're able just to let go. And say, God, it's you. You're big. You can deal with this. You can handle this. I, I don't need to, to be right. I don't need to win an argument. I don't need to prove a point. And so by us letting go, it's showing trust and maturity in the Lord. It's also living out the teachings of Jesus. He himself said in Matthew 5, uh, verse 40 through 42, it's on the board. It says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. This was Jesus' life. Someone wants to sue you, give it. Give it. You want your tunic here? You want this as well? You want my cloak? Oh, that, that's the heart of Jesus, and that needs to be the heart of his followers. Now, this same principle of letting it go, it doesn't only evolve to conflict or suing each other in courts or taking believers to, before the magistrates. 
You can apply it to any principle in our life as well. This, that's why I said let it go. Because there may be things, you might be here, well, I'm not suing anybody, and I don't have any conflict, but maybe there's, there's issues in your heart that God is calling you to let go of. Maybe issues in your heart, things that you've been wronged, things that people have done to you, people, things that people have said to you. And you've had these issues in your heart, and these issues are now taking root, and they're manifesting themselves in roots of bitterness and strife, and they're taking up places in your heart that God is saying, let it go. Let it go, and it's hard. Especially deep wounds that have, that have hurt us. Pastor, you have no idea what this person has done to me. You have no idea the pain that I've been through. You're right, I don't, but God does. He said, let it go. And whatever you might be holding on, I'll, I'll, I'll come with you. I'll go side by side. You might be right in it. But holding on to your rights, it's possible to be wrong. And so God is saying, let it go today. That's my encouragement. Let it go. Love and trust God and see what he does. Sadly, those in Corinth, because of their carnality and because of their pride, they held on to their rights. They didn't trust God. And in doing so, their rights were wrong. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, you yourselves were wrong and you yourselves were defrauded. Even though they were the ones who had wrong done to them and they were the ones who were defrauded. It says, by you going to court and by you fighting and doing things your way, you are wrong. Let's not make this mistake today or anytime in the future. And so in closing, let's not run to the courts. Let's not sue one another, but come together, humble ourselves in love and be willing to let it go and trust God. Not just with the courts, not just with suing one another, but issues that we have within the church and things in general in our heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, God. You are so faithful. God, you are so good. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would fill each one here with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to do the things that you've commanded us to do, Lord. Yes, Lord, we understand that we're not to sue one another, that we're not to run to the world to deal with issues that the church and the saints should be dealing with, God. And so help us to remember this, to apply this to our lives, but not just this, to our lives in general. Lord, we want to humble ourselves. We want to let things go and not allow the enemy to split us up when you want us to come together. So God, I pray if there's anyone here who, Lord, that phrase, let it go, let it go, it's just ringing in their mind. Lord, I pray that you would allow it to sink into their heart and anything that they're holding on to, any wrongs that have been done to them, even though they're right. Lord, holding on to it, they would, would be wrong. So give them the strength to let it go, to trust you, to choose to love, rather than to hold on and cling to issues that they shouldn't. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we talk about humbling ourselves and letting it go, laying down our rights, we would be amiss not to talk about what Jesus did on the cross for us. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He was completely right, perfect, and sinless, but he went to the cross to die for us, for my sin, for your sin, so that we can be reconciled to him. That's the ultimate example of laying it down. That's the ultimate example of, of love. And if you haven't experienced or you haven't received 
That love that was manifested and demonstrated on the cross, today is the day of salvation. You might be here and you might be separated from the God who loves you, who died for you. But Jesus experienced what that separation was like. When he was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in Jesus' life, he knew what it was like to be separated from God. And it wasn't because of him, it was because of my sin. That pain, the agony that he felt at that moment was terrible. And if you're in that pain and agony today, it's terrible. And I don't want you to live another moment, another second with that. Separation from God is it's death and it's empty and it's brokenness now and for eternity. But the good news is that separation can be no more. It can be removed by you receiving Christ into your life. This might have been something that you maybe have done one time before, but you haven't truly understood and you haven't surrendered your life to him, and you're broken, and you're empty, and you feel so far from God. His hand is reaching down, and he's saying, repent. Turn your life around and turn it over to me. The Bible says when we do that, a time of refreshment will come. The Bible says when we do that, he will receive us. He's given us the right to become children of God for those who receive him. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you receive Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and to close their eyes. I'm going to ask you to Make the greatest decision you will ever make that you will never regret to turn your life around and over to Christ and to receive him here today. And if you're ready to make that decision, I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. To acknowledge your willingness to make that decision, I'm going to ask you to do something in a moment and it's bold. I'm going to ask you to, to stand. By standing, you're surrendering your life to Christ. You're saying, I don't want nothing to do. The Bible says, you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my father. This is a safe place where you can confess your decision to receive Jesus Christ, to have the barrier of sin and the separation of God removed. Today is the day, and if you're ready to receive, will you please stand right now, right where you're seated, push yourself up, and stand and receive Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you in the front. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. Is there anyone else today who says, today is the day? I don't want to leave the same way I came in. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. God bless you. God, I want you. I need you. Please come. He's here. His hand is reaching down. Today is the day. Don't put it off. Don't run. It's today. If you're watching online and you want to make this decision as well or in the fellowship hall, I encourage you to pray with me as well. Those of you who are standing, it's... Uh, it's a prayer, but it's not about the words of the prayer. It's about the condition of your heart. And so you don't have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your heart and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of your righteousness. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Please come into my heart and help me to live for you in all that I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. We rejoice with you because the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over someone who repents and gets right with God. And if you stood today, we'd love to.
give you a Bible, encourage you, answer any questions you may have. There's a prayer room to my right and to your left if you want to make your way after the service. If you're here today and God's really speaking to you about letting it go, there's hurt and there's pains and there's things you need just to let go or you need a touch from the Lord, there's people who would love to pray for you. God bless you guys. Let's go ahead and stand for our last song.